Welcome to Home is Where the Torah is, the podcast series recorded in our homes and sent directly to yours. I'm Leon Morris, the president of the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. In this series, we get to learn from six members of our talented faculty as they consider Jewish perspectives on the notion of home. Stay tuned after the lecture for a brief conversation in Chavruta I'll be having with Mati Rosenshine, the gifted architect of our new building, as we pick up on an idea or two expressed by our teachers. In today's episode, we will learn from Rabbi Dr. Levi Cooper as he discusses Makom Kavua, choosing a place for prayer. This is Levi Cooper coming to you from Sur Hadassah. My dear friends, in recent times, many of us have been forced to daven to pray at home. Our shuls have been shattered as we seek to protect ourselves and our dear communities. Here in Sur Hadassah, I was forced to close my shul, and I did so with a heavy heart, but knowing full well that it was the right decision. My shul has been closed for a number of weeks, and only a couple of days ago, the Israeli government issued updated guidelines that allowed up to 19 people to gather together in an open space with distances between each person and wearing masks, and those people could gather for a small minyan. So here in my community, we've started the daily minyan again in the courtyard of the shul. And as of this recording, my shul itself remains bolted shut, and I have no idea when we will be able to reopen. Our daily minyan looks a little bit strange. People spread out over a large area, never more than 19 people, all wearing masks. And during this time, I have been davening, as I'm sure many of you, at home, together with my family. And this has been a special experience. Yes, Flashes of inspiration together with moments of despair. It's been a mixed bag for me, my wife, my kids, as I'm sure it has been for you too. This entire challenge has raised for me questions of the notion of sacred space and what's the value of having a Beit Knesset a synagogue, and whether the home as a different type of sacred space can effectively replace the shul. I remember my grandfather once when he was told off by the community rabbi for talking during shul. He said to the rabbi, if I wanted to just daven, I could have stayed at home. I come to shul also 
to see my friends. Well, my grandfather, of course, said that with a grin. But is it true? Could our homes replace our shuls, our synagogues? So in this podcast, I'd like to share with you one group of sources that I have been exploring of late. The Talmud in Masechet Brachot says the following, Amar Rabbi Yochanan Mishum Rabbi Shimon Ben Yochai. Rabbi Yochanan said in the name of Rabbi Shimon Ben Yochai, and I'm glad to be citing Rabbi Shimon Ben Yochai at this time in the lead up to Lag Ba'omer, which is Rabbi Shimon Ben Yochai's Yartzeit, the anniversary of his death. And normally there's a big celebration in Meron at the gravesite of Rabbi Shimon Ben Yochai, a celebration that I imagine this year will be entirely different. And Rabbi Yochanan said in the name of Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, Kol makom Anyone who sets a particular place for his or her prayer, Oivav noflim tachtav. That person's enemies fall before him. The Talmud continues with a proof text from the book of Samuel. I'm reading from Shmuel Bet, 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verse 10. V'samti makom la'ami li'Israel. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel. Unatativ. And I will plant them. V'shachan tachtav that they may dwell in their own place, and be disquieted no more, neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more, as at the first, as at previous times. So in this verse, I will appoint a place, a specific location is emphasized. And that's why the Talmud tells us that when, with regard to prayer, a a person should actually have a location. The Talmud over there continues and says, it's true at the beginning. There may be difficult times, but at the end, all will be well, assuming a person has a set place for prayer. A page earlier in that in the Talmud, on Daf Vav Amud Bet, in the same tractate, Brachot, we have another statement about setting a place for prayer. makom whoever sets a place for his prayer, Elohei Avraham. Be'ezro. The God of Abraham will be there to assist that person. And when that person passes away, they'll say to that person, what an, a humble person, what a pious person, a person who is one of the students of our forefather Abraham. The Talmud says, well, why, why is this particularly associated with Abraham. How do we know that Abraham 
set a place for prayer. And the Talmud brings it to a proof text from Genesis 19.27. By Yashkem Avraham Baboker. And Avraham got up early in the morning. And he went to the location where he was wont to stand. And want, and standing, the Talmud says, stand in prayer. He went to the specific place of prayer. So a person who has a location for prayer, according to the first source, his enemies will fall before him. According to the second source, that person is linked to the father of Jewish prayer, the inspiration for the morning service, Shacharit, to Avraham. A question arises, well, what does it mean to set a place for prayer? And I'd like to explore a few different possibilities. One possibility is that a person should choose a particular synagogue. In other words, a person shouldn't decide, well, today I'll pray over there in this synagogue and tomorrow I'll pray in, a def- in another synagogue. Rather, a person should try and have a set synagogue, have a, to use a modern term, membership in a particular place. And if that's the meaning of the Talmud, I think the emphasis over here might be on communal affiliation. You know, my friends, a person who goes to a different synagogue, sure, that person is praying and even praying with a minyan, with a quorum. But is that person really belonging to a community? Belonging to a community requires a certain element of commitment to that community. And it could be that the Talmud is suggesting to us that a person should belong to a specific community and pray in a particular Beit Knesset, in a particular synagogue. That's one way of understanding the sources, the Talmudic sources that I've presented thus far. But there's another Talmudic passage in the Yerushalmi that says, Tzarich Adam liyached lo makom beveit hakneset a person needs to set aside for himself a place, a location within the synagogue for prayer. According to the Urshalmi, the emphasis is not on choosing a particular synagogue, but it's even more specific. A person needs to find a place within a synagogue. And that is where the person should gravitate for each and every prayer. So one of the commentators, Rabbi Meir Hakon of Rottenburg, a 13th century commentator from Germany, in his commentary on Maimonides' Code, he says, Lo makom pam ufam a person shouldn't pray in one corner this prayer and in another corner another prayer. Prayer, Rather, they should always have a particular location within the synagogue. 
And indeed, my friends, that is the rule according to Jewish law, codified in the Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch, written by Rabbi Yosef Karo, writes, Yikva makom letfilato. A person should set a place for his prayer. Shelo yeshanehu imlo letzorich. A person shouldn't change it and let change the location unless there is a particular need. And the Shulchan Aruch continues. It's not enough just to choose a particular synagogue. Even within a particular synagogue, a person should choose a location within that synagogue. Now, my friends, that can be a rather challenging order. Because what happens if you get to the Beit Knesset, and someone else is sitting in your seat, should you tell them, move, this is my set place? So the Magen Avraham, one of the commentators on the Shulchan Aruch, says, well, a location doesn't need to be the exact GPS coordinates. Rather, it needs to be within the area, a four, an area of four cubits from your location is still considered to be your particular location. And I can tell you that in my synagogue, we don't have set seating because we want to encourage everybody to feel that they can just come in and sit down. And not, But what happens is that people generally gravitate to a particular area where they try to always pray. The Magen Avraham adds another point, which is germane to our time. The Magen Avraham says, even when a person prays at home, that person should have a set place for prayer within the home so that others, members of that person's household, won't disturb the person. We'll come back to that in a moment. But why is it so important to have a set place? So the Maharal says, the Maharal of Prague, he writes that if you have a set place, it doesn't look like, oh, I'm just perchancing on prayer. Rather, you go to that location and you make a decision that now is the time that you want to pray. Going a bit further back, Rabbi Menachem Hamiri from Provence a Talmudic commentator, he says that if we have a particular place, then you'll be prepared to concentrate better in that location. It's as if going to the place will help trigger your focus. Another one of the commentators, the Rashba, from Spain, he says something similar and he says that when a person goes to their set place, so then they immediately enter a different space, they focus better, they know, that person knows that this is the place that I need to be focused on prayer, that I need to think 
that I am standing before the Almighty and that will assist the person's prayer. Rabbeinu Yonah, a different commentator, he says that the Talmudic directive may not even be talking about a Beit Knesset. Because when you go to a Beit Knesset, well, that's obvious that you're going to focus. Rather, the Talmud is telling us that a person, even in that person's own home, should have a particular place for prayer. And this brings me to a fascinating comment comment by a 17th century Syrian commentator, Rabbi Yoshia Pinto. And Rabbi Yoshia Pinto says three points. His first point, similar to what we've said until now, he says that if you have a set place, that if you go to that location, then you are demonstrating to everybody that you are making that extra effort for prayer. His second point is an interesting point. He says that by setting a location for prayer, we are in a sense reenacting the temple service. Because the Kohanim, the priests in temple times, when they sacrificed the various animals in the morning and in the afternoon, they didn't just sacrifice them anywhere that they wanted. There were set locations within the temple where each sacrifice had to be performed. So Rabbi Yoshia Pinto, writing in the 17th century, says if we truly want to to reenact the temple service, albeit without the animals, but by sacrificing that comes from the heart, then we need to set aside a particular location. I think that's an interesting comment because keeping that in mind reminds us that even perhaps when I'm in my home or in the Beit Knesset, in some ways I'm I'm replacing the temple service of old. But what really caught my eye is Rabbi Yoshiaz Pinto's third comment. And he, following some of the other commentators that I've already cited, also notes that this Talmudic directive could be referring to choosing a place in an individual's home. But he goes a step further and he says that, you know what? Sometimes a location that's your own personal private place, even if it's in home, may be better, may be more worthy, may be more significant than praying even in a synagogue. That's a surprising statement. Rabbi Yoshia Pinto is suggesting that there's a place that's better than a synagogue, and that is a personal space that is inspirational for the individual. Rabbi Yoshia Pinto notes that Avraham, going back to our original passage, 
Abraham went to pray in his own location. He didn't go to one of the famous places at that time. He had already purchased the cave of Machpelah, Maharata Machpelah, which according to the Zohar is an entranceway to the Garden of Eden. And according to the Zohar, Yitzchak, when he went to pray, he went there to the, get, to the opening of the cave. But Avraham didn't go there. Avraham went to his own personal place of inspiration. So my friends, as we pine to return to our communal synagogues, Rabbi Yoshia Pinto suggests that the home also has tremendous potential for prayer. And he encourages us, he prods us to find a space or set aside a location within our homes where we can offer sincere prayers. As I record this podcast in my home, let me conclude with a prayer and a blessing for all of us. Me too, why not? That we should merit speedily to return to our communal prayer spaces. And that wherever we may pray, whether it's in the home or in our synagogues, may we be able to fully focus, offer prayers that come from the depths of our hearts, and may the Almighty answer all our prayers. That's all for now. Until the next time, to the Beit Midrash! This is Leon Morris. I'm sitting here with Mati Rosenshine, the architect of Pardes' new home, Beit Karen. Hello, Mati. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Uh, Levi Cooper's beautiful shiur deals with the notion of sacred space. And I wondered how, how do you as an architect relate to the notion of sacred space? What does that term conjure up for you? Okay, well, um, there are many types of, of sacred spaces. Um, and the sort of hierarchy of those types of spaces, um, I would say that there are sacred spaces in the home, sacred spaces in institutions, synagogues, etc. Um, I would say that for me, um, even small, intimate spaces of the home have a certain level of uh, sacredness to that. And um, maybe I'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but spaces like even uh, reading rooms, reading nooks, libraries, whereas there's no religious uh, association with the uh, sacredness of those spaces, they have a level of sacredness to them. Um, the question brings to mind um, one text, which um, uh, I'll mention, and that is. Um, on uh, Adam's uh, on Adam's house in paradise by Joseph uh, Reichwert, which which resonates to a certain extent on you know my thoughts um, regarding sacred space. The the Reichwert's uh, work or book relates back to the primitive hut, um, which is a, a reference to the earliest piece of architecture in paradise in the Garden of Eden. 
And what's, what's fascinating about his work is that he uh, takes every single architectural period throughout history and analyzes the attempt of architects at the time, whether it's in Vitruvius's period or in the Renaissance or every, every other period, including modernism, he takes us back and, and shows in his view how um, architects and designers uh, are constantly trying to restart or reevaluate what architecture is all about. Um, it's sort of a, a, an approach of resetting the cultural view about architecture. And that resonates very much with my views because um, Pardes is constantly trying to, I, I believe, uh, uh, think forward and reinvent themselves. And, and I find that uh, that text is, is very appropriate. I find that in designing a sacred space or sacred spaces for Pardes, such as the Bet Midrash, there should be elements of thinking forward, not only thinking about the past and where we're coming from, but but how, how uh, Judaism moves forward um, within a space of study and limida, such as the Beit Midrash. Um, it brings to mind um, another text, um, the Sacred and the Profane, which I, I would imagine that um, everyone at Pardes knows uh, perhaps intimately far more than I do. From their undergrad days. From probably. their undergrad yeah. days, perhaps. It's, it's an, an older text, but um, the first chapter, um, in the sacred, in the uh, profane by Marcia Eliad, um, it deals with space, sacred space. And it primarily talks about what sacred space is for the religious person. Um, and it makes a very clear distinction between uh, a sort of homogenous space, which is the profane space, which is about um, everyday space. But it pretty much says that all spaces aside from religious spaces, are, are homogenous. It's a very clear cut. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think, um, as I said before, other spaces, non-religious spaces, can definitely have a component of, of uh, sacredness to them. But um, that also resonates with, with my thinking that spaces um, um, such as the Bet Midrash in Pardes um, have certain elements like... Uh, uh, such as orientation, such as the orientation to um, Havabite, such as every synagogue in the world that sort of resets ourselves and recalibrates where we are every time we enter that space, no matter where we are in the world, we're refocusing ourselves. Um, and that's what um, this first chapter in uh, um, Iliad's uh, book talks about. And, and that has a lot to do with, uh, with obviously, with our sacred space as well. Are there profane spaces in the future of this? Uh, there certainly are profane spaces, and I think those spaces are incredibly important um, to uh, elevate the importance of the sacred spaces, mm -hmm. to set a contrast, to align us in respect to the sacred spaces as well. And there are study spaces, there are informal study spaces, there are spaces for um, incidental encounters, there are spaces to eat. There are spaces to sit and just float. And so uh, there are definitely such spaces in Pardes, which are, in my view, no less important. Thank you so much, Mati.